Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I'm just depressed because we had an unpublishable, awesome emergency before the real emergency that will never see the light of day. Yep, and not unpublishable for the reason you think. Not because we said horrible things. We did, no. but we can't publish it because it makes fun of someone who's close to us, and yep. yeah. that's just how it goes. Also joining us, the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Hey! Joining us all the way from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Off of what Glenn said, is anybody going to have a meeting where they have to say what the re- emergency was? We, probably, yeah. Yeah, you see, you see, we didn't say anything bad about the person just the larger situation that they're in yeah that's beyond their control and that's about as much detail as we can give you but you know i i noticed like on the youtube they have like a those uh patreon pages where like if you really right. love the youtube you Dude, slide this them, is great you slide them some extra dough and then they yes. give you all the behind the scenes <laughs> let me tell you what We've talked about many times, say that after dark, but I think now's the time. Oh, yeah. If you're a Bridgebox subscriber, you just email us and ask us what it is. We'll tell you. Yeah, there Let you go. Let me ask this. If, if you did set up a, 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 a bridge, you know, or a say that Patreon, is there, a, is there a tier of support where someone could convince you to just turn on your iPhone during the Tuesday afternoon sermon lunch, and you just let it run? Nope. Uh, and well, they just get that? <laughs> Listen, uh, none of us wants anything that legally actionable out there in the world. <laughs> yeah, That's no, some high-level venting that takes place there. We're getting, we're getting to the really raw stuff there. We're all having a fun time. Then Lee pitched a thing. That would get us all shunned from polite society. <laughs> yeah. And that's even on a week Pete isn't there. Yes, ironically, we do have our own version of Patreon, which is Bridgebox, which is our own version because we came up with it like five years before Patreon existed. Yep. And we wow. forgot to uh we forgot to like copyright that or anything. So Yeah. But you can sign up and yeah, I just you know, again, if you have our number or something, you just text us, we'll we'll tell you what we're talking about. It may not make a lot of sense, but it, pretty good bits. I'll do the, I'll do the whole bit from beginning to end. There you go. Good solid. <laughs> For each individual person, I'd be happy to do that. You know how like oh the CDs used to have like a secret track, like if it kept running. Yeah. Maybe. We get it's somewhere in this month's bridge box and hidden deep in the HTML is the entire <laughs> bit. If you hit it right, even Glenn, though we we'll weren't recording of, it, probably. In a hologram style, Glenn's head will just emerge and do all the riffs. (laughs) Help us, naughty emergency Glenn. You're our only hope. (laughs) Oh, that is the opposite of truth. Um, So we do have an actual emergency, which we've kind of pointed to here. We mentioned in the last show, we we talked about a nonsense Christian movie and uh, how it may be ripping off a very popular video game franchise. And now we have to declare an emergency because we have a nonsense Christian video game emergency. (laughs) That can't be right. Uh, I'm intrigued. Strap in. Uh, so you know we're we're sheltering in place. We're quarantining. We're doing our can. We're doing what we can. There's a lot of uh, a lot of video gaming going on in the wider world. You know, the maybe maybe with the Animal Crossing, people are playing. Maybe the Doom. Maybe as as Glenn mentioned on the last show, people are uh, playing something like Assassin's Creed, just so not even to do the missions, just to wander around outside, and uh, you know run into townsfolk as they used to do. But some of our friends in the uh, the PC gaming world, I read from no less a source than PC Gamer Magazine, okay. which I, is still a thing. Pope Simulator promises a, quote, realistic depiction of life as the Supreme Pontiff. Oh. <laughs> Pope Simulator. Okay. Oh, come on, man. Guys, I so sincerely hope that somebody involved in the coding of this game is a say that super fan and there's a secret cheat code yeah. where you can where you can pope it like a hurricane. Let me tell you what, 
I will buy Matt a steak dinner if there is a secret hidden track of the Pope You Like a Hurricane slogan. Oh, well, you mentioned such a thing. So I read about what the, uh, the game actually is. The game begins on Conclave Day when the College of Cardinals elects a new pope. That's you. And you do get to decide your own papal coat of or- coat of arms, okay. which you probably could put the Latin for Pope you like a hurricane on. <laughs> Whoa, now I'm in. You'll begin your reign by choosing a coat of arms, which will apparently impact the course of your papacy. Also, uh, P- far be it for me to, uh, to badmouth the luminaries at PCGamer.com, but I don't think good journalism has the phrase apparently in it. A lot. Nope. Well, look, fellas, you know, a little while back, we had like a a whole, uh, you know, Pope shakeup. The uh, rare Pope resignation. Yeah, and we found out that they they were having an election on it, and we thought, well, you know, or I thought, let me get in on that. Sure, a little third candidate, Ross Perot-style situation. That's right. And, uh, you know, I was a dark horse candidate. There wasn't a lot of chance. But, I, you know, just running on general principle, my campaign was uh, Pope You Like a Hurricane, uh, based on the 80s hair metal band Scorpions. Uh, But here's the thing, fellas. We came up with a very clear idea that what you needed was a good pope and a bad pope. A uh, good pope comes around and he says all oh, lots of happy, happy stuff, but the, the bad, co- bad pope keeps everybody in line. That's the critical part. My question is, does this video game have the bad pope character in it? Well, I, I don't know. Let me ask this, and I think everyone on the call is more uh, learned in video games than I am because I can't make them work. I think I've shared the story on the uh, on the show before. I was once so bad at one of those Batman games that I was failing in a mission for so long that the in-game dialogue of two of the henchmen w- began describing how to beat the mission. So that's <laughs> where I'm at on that. Literally going, I don't know. If you was Batman, how would you get in here? I would probably use that grappling gun he has and go to the top and come down through the <laughs> chimney. So that's, I'm, I'm not so good at the video games. But I understand that there are some video games where you can like make a choice if you want to do this like as a hero or a villain, kind of you can make right. some moral choices. So I would like the idea that you can play through Pope Simulator normal, and then you can engage bad Pope mode. Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe unlock a leather duster or that kind of thing. <laughs> well, yeah, because like in a lot of these open world games, they, you get like different outfits. Skins. You know? Skins. Yeah, you get like a, you know, because you, you level up. And then that unlocks, you know, you get it. Well, you know, the bad Pope, he's got the leather jacket. Uh, he's got the mirrored sunglasses. And, uh, and you know. And does he have like an one of those incense uh, sensors that like, it's it's like burning something that knocks everybody else in the room out? That's, that's what it does. It just knocks them out. Uh, and, you know, they wake up and they don't even know where they've been. You know what I mean? That sends a message. And that's what's, you know, so I think, uh, you know, what people don't understand is that we're innovators on sure. the show. We're blazing new ground. We we understand how these things work. And people come around after us, they're stealing all these brilliant ideas. You know, we're we're already pioneering all these thoughts already. Well, speaking of things we're pioneering, uh, in the last episode, Jed mentioned the idea of a series of kind of 1950s style MST3K instructional videos about how to be a decent person functioning in society. And would that right. idea not work very well as some kind of PC simulator we can give the Christians? Oh yeah. So you get a mission to go yeah. out and like be nice to someone and not be a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well now here's my question, both for that and for the Pope simulator. So as you fellows may know, I'm a huge nerd and part of that is I like I knew that. Yeah. I like the simulators <laughs> for like the uh like the the flying and the driving and whatnot. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And um 
they in general you you use a custom controller right like a steering wheel for the driving game or you know but there's a a a physical object that you interact with in order to play the game right so what is the what is the physical control object that you use either for uh, the pope simulator or for the decent human being simulator i think pope simulator has got to be the hat doesn't it oh yeah or 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 maybe the staff too like the the miter and the crozier yes see I'm I'm going back to the decent human being simulator. Here's what it is. Obviously, it's a controller that is shaped uh in the in the shape of a bible. Okay, okay. That you hold. Now, here's the real innovative breakthrough cuz the decent human being simulator is VR, obviously. Okay. So you're in the virtual world and you're walking around and trying to be a decent human being. And when you are not, you receive a severe, semi-lethal electric shock through your Bible that you're holding. Oh, yeah. I also had a question about the idea of semi-lethality. Well, it's like, it won't kill you, but it kind of make you wish you were dead. And you think maybe you kind of are. Okay, that's... (laughs) Glenn is not going to be in charge of marketing, that's for sure. It'll barely (laughs) kill you. It'll be one of those things where it'll be like, you know, you're playing for for high stakes here. You know, it sharpens the mind. Well, that's definitely one way to go. I think VR, I think using the technology as now for both both the budgetary and the limits of our our user base here. I'm wondering if Be a Decent Person Simulator may not benefit from kind of a very old school NES four point direction pad and A, B button setup. Okay. Just kind of, you know, you go to the, you navigate to the coffee shop and said, this person who, you know, is obviously having a hard time. A, uh, say something encouraging. B, conjecture that they have lived their life in an irresponsible way <laughs> that has led to the wrath of God. <laughs> and it's kind of a, you know, eventually you can graduate up. You get like a Sega, maybe you get four or six buttons. And then we, we work our way up. You got to start with the basics. Oh, I like it. I like it. Unlocking features as you go. Like you're trying to get to the top of the castle, but it keeps sending you back to the bottom because you keep being a jerk. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, more peripherals to sell the people, which that's really what the gaming industry is based on, in my understanding. Matt, how far do you have to go in the Decent Human Being Simulator in order to earn the fog machine? Oh. <laughs> uh. I think there's a very weird kind of a metaphysical thing where as soon as you try to get the fog machine, you've proved you haven't earned it. <laughs> yeah, so if you use your level up points to try to get, you know, certain tribal tattoos or something like that, then they then they automatically level you back. Is this right. what you're saying? That's yeah. right. No, here's what happens, fellas, is like you're in a virtual world and there's a virtual fog machine there and the player thinks, maybe I should plug that in. It'll make everything much more awesome. And then he plugs it in and it gives him a shock. <laughs> Sounds great to me, man. I think the Zappo. legal department for our video game company is going to get a lot of work going. Let me tell you what, people, people, this will really help a lot of people. It sounds like it's going to almost kill a lot of people. Well, yeah, but are, is it really the bad ones, though? Can and you see the... the uh, <laughs> but hold on, Matt, because I, I, there's one other angle of this, which is... Oh, other than Glenn the, killing off our clientele? <laughs> it's the pastor spinoff of the, of the simulator, where the pastor has to make decisions like, what kinds of things to include in the sermon? Should I make a guiltifying pitch for money? Should should I encourage the worship leader to use those weird LED poles? You know all yeah. that kind of stuff. And so this is like the whole. It's a whole other. It's a whole other. Uh, you know, spinoff of the of the video game. Well, I think there's certainly a spinoff in there of kind of a a football manager or a Madden kind of coach mode thing where you set up and it's like, oh, you set up your service and I see that your sermon slot is 45 minutes. No one came. You fail. <laughs> you have died of dysentery. <laughs> Well, you know, on some of these video games, I don't know if you've played them, uh, but like when you get close to death, there's like this, um, a ring around the outside of the screen that like starts pulsing red. Yes. Yes. You know, 
It's it's like a visual uh, indicator, sort of a red vignette that's Dude, letting yes, you know. Yes, this is the Holy Spirit. Well, that yeah was it's when they're doing good, it like glows yellow to yes. let you know. But <laughs> then, if you start being boring, it just gets darker and darker yes, and closes in. <laughs> Until the person faints, and then it's all over with. Well, I think we combine that with the old uh, uh, rock band game, where if you started sucking, the audience would jeer you and throw yeah. virtual things at you. <laughs> yeah. So I think you losing their attention in the pastor simulator, and just people openly heckling. Yep. Just no one cares that you read a book. Say something about but, me. At first, at first, they start just logging onto Facebook on their individual cell phones. Yep. <laughs> then then they then they move to falling asleep then with the open heckling and if your if your overall service goes longer than an hour there's a tiny pixelated glen that just gets up and leaves <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's right that's there's a there's some some reality to that one i you know what i think we fixed more industries than we normally do and we killed uh, th- a few people by electrocution along the way but that was always going to happen so i th- feel very safe in declaring emergency off Yes, as we mentioned, if you want to uh, get in on uh, the the extra good stuff, sermons, Bible studies, and also if you want the ability to just uh, text us up and be like, "What was that thing that was too bad for you to say on the show?" I'd like to hear. You can sign up for Bridgebox if you uh, you know email us along with your Bridgebox receipt, and we'll tell you any of the uh, borderline slanderous things we are going to say about someone who's been nothing but nice to us because it was really funny to be entirely fair. MissionUSA.com/slash <laughs> bridge box if you want to get involved over there if you also want to get involved every tuesday night for the foreseeable future we will be doing our bridge (laughs) service live on facebook facebook.com slash the bridge chicago if you can't join us should watch that every tuesday thank you at 7 30 chicago time if you can't join us live they are all archived over on our facebook page you can go check those out for yourself we are having a lot of fun and we hope you will join us we're going to jump to our first question here. Hang us all the way to the end. I guess ways you can touch this, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links there. Speaking of our live bridgecast, our first question comes in anonymously and says, in a, recent, in a recent bridge live broadcast on Facebook, one of the pastors said that Jesus, quote, became sin for us. I'm new to being Christian, and I think that's one of those things that people say in church that makes sense to church people, but it doesn't make sense to new people like me. I apologize, but I need you to break that down for me. And obviously, no apology necessary. This is the premise of the entire show. If people didn't have questions, we would just be saying slanderous things for an hour that we couldn't record. That's not really <laughs> any good to anyone, but it is a very, very good question. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to start us off with it. For sure. And uh, I agree with Matt, and it's worth reiterating, you should not apologize for asking for a clarification on this show, and you should not apologize for asking for a clarification anywhere in any Christian anything. Mm. Uh, it's uh, the job of the leader, uh, whatever program that you're in, whatever uh, church you're in, whatever ministry you're a part of, the leadership's job is to make things clear, to make them easy to understand, uh, to make it accessible for people who are brand new to all this. Uh, so y- you don't need to have an attitude of, of uh, feeling bad about that at all. We want you to uh, know that's the right thing, and we're happy to accommodate that. Uh, we, we love answering uh, qu- basic questions, complex questions. Uh, there's always a lot more depth to the basic ones uh, if if you really get to looking at it. So that's all yeah. good stuff. Um, here's here's the problem: is uh, our man Paul, who who wrote this, uh, he really did not do us a lot of favors in the way he phrased it, and uh, and that's kind of putting it mildly, really. Um, if you look at it in the original Greek, it makes a bit more sense, uh, but not a super big ton. So here's the here's the idea is that Paul is trying to say that Jesus didn't have any sin, but the the uh, irony, the um the the uh, the stunning thing about Jesus's life is that though he had himself no sin, he ended up having all of our sin put on him. 
And the way that uh, Paul is describing that is he said that that Jesus, who had no sin, became our sin. That that he he took that sin onto him. In the original language, that word became kind of it. It's a very very vague, very general term. So we're going to struggle to give you a better definition of that word that's also more accurate. Um, you, in other places, that's uh, trans, the same word is translated as uh, to make, um, to uh, to carry. So it's the idea of it's going from one thing to another thing. If I can make it that, it's, it's a yeah. general word, that's a general definition. Uh, so uh, I think a better translation would, would be that Jesus, despite not having any sin, carried all of our sin. And that's really what he's trying to say. Uh, he's not trying to say that Jesus was made into sin, that he became sin, uh, but that he uh, became the vessel of it. I think you might, uh, uh, a better way of putting it that might be is a little bit of a fancy word there, uh, but that Jesus became the embodiment of our sin, that mm. that he carried it, he he represented it, he uh, he had it all on him, and uh, that being ironic and amazing and stunning and and remarkable because he was the only one of us who never had any, and that's really what that verse is trying to say. The language is not great. You're going to find that a lot as you get into the Bible, where you say, "I think this must be super deep because I don't get it." That's not you. We're not going to find that is actually the case. What we're going to find is a little bit of clunky language, maybe trying to sound a bit poetic in the original language right. or something like that. Uh, but when you translate it, it kind of gets a little mushy. And Bible, let's give Bible translators a break that you know they're trying to do a job of accurately translating this stuff. And uh, sometimes to get accurate with it, you're going to lose a little bit of the flow of the language. So you have to either uh, look at Bible studies or ask guys like us to kind of translate that a little deeper off of just the words, but to get the meaning behind it. And, and we're happy to do that. We certainly are. And Lee, I think uh, Glenn did a great job laying down the the, yeah. the biblical basis of this. What is it, now to get into the meaning a little bit more, as he's saying, he gave us, a, a, I think, yeah. some great definitions. So what does it mean for us that all this happened? Yeah, I, I love that somebody wrote this in, by the way. I was tuned in to the bridge um, from Tennessee. My wife and I were, were watching uh, together, um, and it was a great message. And, I'm, and I love that somebody was watching and said, man, this is a good message. I don't quite get what that is. I'm going to write to these dudes and see see what they have to say about it. I've, again, I, we love the follow-up. This is fantastic. Um it helps me to understand this concept, which Glenn broke down the, the problems with the language and the translation just beautifully. It helps me to think about this when I think about the nature of forgiveness in these terms. Think about a debt that someone owes. Like if I owe Matt a hundred bucks and then I get to the point where I, you know, we have an agreed date that I'm going to pay it back. And then we get to that date and I can't pay it back. So he says, all right, we'll take another month or something. And at the end of that month, I still can't pay it back. And he decides to forgive that debt. The cost of forgiveness for Matt is that he then pays my debt completely. He basically is out that hundred bucks. He's out the money. Um, I don't pay it. He pays it. When we think about the, the nature of forgiveness in terms of a debt, it helps me to understand what Paul is trying to say here. Because what he's saying is, that we we had a debt with God that we couldn't possibly pay. So what God, God can't just declare it forgiven. I declare it forgiven. That's not the way forgiveness works. A debt actually has to be paid. And so he paid it. Um, he bore our sin, our guilt, our shame, and then paid the penalty, which Romans chapter six says is death. So for Jesus to die on the cross was to identify or carry, as Glenn's saying, our sin, even though he never did any, um, upon himself as if he were the guilty one. So he bore the shame and the guilt and the punishment for sin. So he was punished 
And the good news about that for us is that means not only is he in a judicious way able to forgive me of my debt because the, the actual debt was paid. Um, but it means that my, I never have to feel if I, if I ever feel guilty, that means that's not coming from God. If I ever feel ashamed, that's not coming from God. If I ever feel like I'm in trouble, that's not coming from God. And those are helpful things to understand that when, when we look at this, I, I think Glenn's exactly right. Paul is, is being poetic with, with the way that he's spinning this out. He's at the end of a, you know, he's at the end of a thought and he's being poetic about it. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What he's talking about is a crediting onto an account. So my sin was credited onto Jesus's account as if Jesus had committed my sins, even though he never did. So that Jesus's righteousness could be credited onto my account as if I had been as righteous as Jesus through my whole life, even though I never was. We switched records. We switched accounts. And it's so cool when you think about that, the implications of that. That means that I never have to feel guilty and I never have to feel in trouble and I never have to feel ashamed again because the, the, the cost of forgiveness is paying the debt. And that's what Jesus has done for me. That's a really, really fantastic place to take that. And Jed, I'd love to, to get you to pick us up here because particularly if you're someone who's new to the Bible, new to Christianity, as our question asker uh, says they are, there's also one of the things that might need clarification about this passage beyond just the phrasing of he became sin for us, which both Glenn and Lee did a great job with is in that, in the passage, particularly as Lee expanded on it there, you know, he who knew no sin became sin for us. So that in him, we may become the righteousness of God. There's a lot of stuff that sounds like it's happening on the turn of a dime right, right. there. Jesus is doing things. We're supposed to do things. So part of understanding, I think a lot of more of what's going on here is understanding what's actually being described and that it's not instantaneous, right? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, we're going to talk about cooking for a second. Uh, these fellows have done a great job of breaking down what these words mean. And it, like Lee said, it's, I owed a debt, someone else paid it. That's that's what we're looking at. And depending on the kind of church they go to, you may be right. There, there may be plenty of church people who do get that idea. Well, let's talk about cooking for a second. I can explain to you how water boils. You take water, you heat it, eventually it boils. If you'd like, I could use really unnecessary, complicated language to explain it, but it won't change the fact that you take water, you heat it, and eventually it boils. I understand that concept pretty well. I bet I understand that concept about as well as my buddy Pete Lawson. But the difference is Pete Lawson knows how to take boiled water and make delicious food with it. Pete's an amazing, amazing cook. And the thing about being a cook is it's not about head knowledge. It's a skill. It's a craft. It's a thing you do. It's a thing that you live into. Pete blesses people. He certainly blesses me all the time with his skills in the kitchen. Now, again, we both, I certainly understand that water boils. So you're probably pretty impressed with the depth of my culinary knowledge. But I don't actually know how to do anything with it. So there's there's not a lot to it. So it's kind of the same thing here. There may be church people, plenty of them, who get the idea, I owed a debt and someone else paid it. But they may not have a great idea of what now. They may not have a great idea of what do I do with that? What does that actually inform in my life? Because it turns out you have been paid a great kindness. You have been given a great kindness and a great mercy. And to put it in super, super, super simple terms, the right response is to receive that kindness and then to pay it forward, to share it with other people, to pass that mercy and that kindness along to the next guy. That, that's actually the right response. But the thing about that is that's lived knowledge. That's something that you learn by doing it, by, by going out and, and making it manifest in the world. See, I used a fancy word. You're probably pretty impressed. That's, that's what you do with it. Just like with cooking, you can read a lot about it, but until you've done it, you, you don't really know very much about it. And we have done ourselves a disservice in the Christian faith by saying the people who really get Christianity are the people who know the most Bible facts. And the uh -huh. people who know the most Bible words, those are the people who really get Christianity. We would know it was absurd in cooking if we said the guy who can give the most complex description of how water boils, that's the guy who really gets it. No, it's not. It's, it's the guy that can make delicious food. That, that's the guy who gets it. 
Christianity is a lived thing. We go out, we receive that kindness from the Lord, we accept it, we receive it, and then we go out and we share it with other people. That's where all of the good stuff is. That's where all the vibrancy is. That's where the life is. And I think that's actually where the growth is. That's the thing that we want to encourage you to do is when you understand a piece of the Bible, figure out how do I now actually go and live this out? And in this case, the idea that I've received a great mercy, that someone has paid a debt on my behalf, is a great thing to turn around and say, how can I live this out for other people? That is a very, very good point. I would, however, look forward to one episode of a cooking show where a guy just describes the physical things that are going on and never cooks anything. Yes. This is kind of a weird Tim and Eric performance art piece. I think that would really be something. So I hope we broke that down for you. These guys did a great job on that. And if you need follow up on that, or if you ever have this kind of question of just, you guys said a thing or someone else said a thing, break that down for me. We love doing that. So do not hesitate to reach out. All right. Now we're going to go to a say that interview. I had the privilege of sitting down with singer songwriter, Mike Rathke to talk about his new record. I had a really fun chat with Mike. And we're going to take it to that right now. So I am joined by singer-songwriter Mike Rathke, whose new record, The Dawning Fire, is everywhere now because it took me a little while to get this interview set up. It was going to be, you know, beforehand, but hey, now you can get it everywhere. So that's very, very convenient. And Mike, I'd love to get to talk to, get to the record, which is great. The EP, there's some really fun songs and fun stories in there, but let's introduce the audience to you and get a little bit of your backstory and how you got to where you are. Sure. Uh, yeah. So, uh, like you said, my name is uh, Mike Rathke, and uh, I was born and raised in Kansas, a small town in between Kansas City and Wichita, uh, called Emporia. Lived out in a in a little rural trailer court, about three miles outside of town, and um, that's kind of where that was my stomping ground through you know my junior high and high school years, and um, I uh, got my first guitar at age fourteen and. And just started kind of, you know, listening to music by learning by ear, old old Metallica songs and stuff like that. That was really really yeah. in my wheelhouse at the time. <laughs> and um, you know, there's a handful of us kids that were you know little little metalheads in the trailer court, you know. And so we spent a lot of time, you know, reading guitar magazines and all that good stuff. And so um, anyway, kind of. Uh, I uh, started out there, and then when I was uh, around 19, I, I uh, really started uh, walking with the Lord, and um, that was the kind of a pivotal moment, and, and uh, definitely in the music side of things, is uh, before I didn't have a lot of uh, opportunity to really um, just to share music with anybody, but as, as, I, as I came into the body of Christ, I started to, uh, you know, those opportunities and those doors began to open up, and so that's kind of what got, got me to this where I'm at today. That's very cool, man. It sounds like, um, you grew up in a bit of a, a harsh environment, you know, um, talking about, you know, mobile homes and out in Kansas. And yeah. I'm, re- I have the press release here that for a while you were couch surfing and leaving mm-hmm. home. So what has the way you mentioned that this music being able to connect you with the body, has that, is that kind of what led you want to do music professionally? Has that been something you try to, keep giving other people when you perform and write songs? Yeah. Um, well, I, uh, I always knew I wanted to do something with music, you know, going back to when I was just a, a little kid. Um, but I didn't really know what that was going to look like. Um, but you know, as I, as I got older and, and, um, you know, I started writing songs when I was around 19 or so. And, um, I never really shared them with anybody. They were just kind of, you know, my secret songs, I guess you'd say, but, I, uh, I I showed them to, to some friends one time, and and everybody seemed to kind of like them, you know. And so I I really kind of I knew that that was something I wanted to do, but um, I, like I said, I was just I didn't show them to a lot of people because I was sort of shy about it, you know. And but when I I got plugged into a church, and um, finally I just I just kind of I uh, followed that the nudge of the Holy Spirit, you know, to to step out and and just uh, you know step out into in faith and, and try it out, you know? And so I signed up to do like a special song one Sunday and, 
and that's really how it kind of took off from there. Um, you know, not long after that, I was asked to kind of help on the worship team, and, and then eventually I started leading worship for that church, and then we were there for about seven years, and or it served as a worship leader, and then um, later on went to Christ for the Nations in Dallas, and went to their school of worship, and learned a lot of great things, and, um, you know, but I never really felt like, I never really felt like a the Lord had released me to really push and try to pursue it. I always felt like he was saying just to be patient and serve me where you're at and, and let me open the doors. And so I've always done, I've always tried to do that, you know? And so this past year is when things kind of took off, uh, last, last summer and in, in July, we went to Nashville and, um, was given the opportunity to record at the sound emporium, which is a a level studio in Nashville. And, had some of the best players in Nashville that helped help make that album happen, you know? And so that was really kind of the, that was really kind of the, the takeoff point of, of where we're at right now. Very cool, man. You mentioned, so you, you had your kind of secret songs and then you showed them to some friends some people you trusted. Has there been, was there trepidation? Has there been another level of that of now you're kind of taking stuff and really putting it out into now people you don't know or, experiencing this and yeah. getting feedback what's that been like yeah i mean yeah for sure there was some some you know fear of of just uh i mean because it's kind of a vulnerable place to, to show what you've been working on you know especially with like a creative you know with anything creative there's always that that kind of concern that like oh, i don't know if people are going to receive this people are going to you know appreciate it and and so you know but when when you do that and and um the Lord has a way of, of getting the right people in front of you to to encourage you on your way, and that's one of the cool things about the, the body of Christ is that you know we're we're told to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, and and that's definitely been my experience. That along the way, the Lord's put those people in my path that that really encouraged me and and um, really put life to some of those dreams that I'd had, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the uh, the EP, the Dawning Fire, and you've described the the title as a call to come into fellowship. And what does what does that mean to you? And what does that mean in the context of putting these songs out there? Yeah. So you know, when I I wrote that song in 2016, and um, I didn't really even know what I was writing until after it was done. A lot of times, that's that's kind of how it works with me. I'll just kind of go with a, 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 a sentence that comes to mind and then I'll stand back at the end a lot of times and think, Oh, that's, that's the theme of that, you know, but um, I guess I, I've been kind of wrestling around in my own mind and my own thinking with uh, just kind of the state of where we're at these days. And um, we're kind of in a time where it's, it's, um, it's not popular to, to just stand on the, the word of God and just let the word speak for itself. We're in a time where it's, that's kind of being, challenged a little bit and so there's a line in the song that says um let your word be exalted and every man a liar come aboard heaven's ark before the dying fire it's it's really just a call for the listener to you know wherever wherever you're at you know you know we, we're all at different points in our walk and and that'll never be completed on this side of eternity but you know that journey has to begin and has to have a starting point and so the song is really just beckoning the listener to um, to start that journey, or or if you've already started it, to just you know to just come in closer to Jesus in these times that we live in, where it's it's um, becoming less and less popular to do so, you know. For sure, man. And so one of the songs in the album that I'd love you to to, to give us a little background is you recorded a version of Keith Green's "Oh Lord, You're Beautiful," and was that like that a song that meant something to you? Does that go back to the worship days? You just think it was a cool song. What's the, what's the impetus behind doing yeah. a version of a song? Yeah, it was a, that was a really cool, it was a real cool story to that actually. We, I, I had done that song. Um, and still do um, since the, since I started leading worship and I've always loved Keith Green. I've loved the, just that he was so off the beaten path with, with music and how he wrote and, and the content that he wrote and, I always appreciated that. It's it's interesting to me that, you know, he, he's considered the father of CCM, but he's, he never received a, a, a double word, you know, wow. the side of, know that. of the grave, you know, you know, which he, he's had some, you know, some honors that were given to him afterwards, but I've always thought that was interesting, you know, but um, the uh, friend of mine that's, 
um, acting as manager right now, he um, he uh, suggested that we do that one. And so um, so we went ahead went ahead and did it. And um, we went up in July to record, and we finished all the songs on July 28th. And we uh, we showed it to some friends of the ministry, and and you know they liked it. And later on that evening, they texted us and said, "I don't know if you guys realize this, but you recorded." Um, Oh Lord, you're beautiful on the anniversary of his passing, oh, wow. on the 37th year, yeah, 37th year um, anniversary of his passing, and so we just kind of our jaws just dropped right there in the front of this hotel room. We're like, oh man, I, I mean, we had no idea that that's that that was that date, you know. And so, you know, that was kind of that was kind of a cool thing that the Lord did, and you know, on that weekend. But um, yeah, we recorded the the two verses that most people know, but there's a a third and fourth verse that Keith wrote um, originally, and I found it on an old YouTube channel, uh, old YouTube video of him singing it live. Um, there's actually four verses, and they're, you know, they're they really add a lot more context to the song and what he was what he was thinking about when he wrote it. Um, we we did the third verse. We didn't do all four of them just because it's, it's already over four minutes long. It would have been like a five six minute song, and so we thought, well, let's do the extra verse because. A lot of people didn't know, you know, I didn't know that there were, yeah, wow. there were additional verses to that song. So, but yeah, that was kind of the, that was kind of the background of that song. That's awesome. My friend, there are, the EP is The Dawning Fire. Mike Rathke it is a really fun, encouraging record. It is a good time to, uh, to stream, to support some artists who, you know, are having maybe uh, their stuff upturned because of not being able to tour and all that. So we certainly encourage everyone to check it out. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me, man. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot. I sure appreciate it. All right. I want to thank Mike for taking the time to sit down with me. He uh, was a lot of fun to talk. Very interesting guy with an interesting backstory and do check out the dawning fire available now, wherever you get music. We're going to jump to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, I live in a culture where everything is about the group. At work, I'm supposed to care about the company. At home, I'm supposed to care about put family first. At church, they want me to care about the church over everything else. All that seems like the good thing to do, but I'm getting pulled in all different directions and not making everyone happy or myself happy. On the podcast, you talk a lot about having an individual walk with God, and that makes sense too because I can't really have a group relationship with God. I'm just wondering, as a Christian, how do, you, how do I reconcile seeing myself as an individual versus seeing myself as part of a group? And a really, really excellent question. And Jed, where would we start off? Well, we're glad that you wrote in, and um, I think the conflict that you feel certainly makes sense. And I think we want to start by saying this is a both-and situation. Mm. Um, un- unless <laughs> unless you live the, the life of a uh, nameless wanderer, you, you are a part of a society, um, but you, you also have your own individual identity. And, and so both of those things inform your existence and, and what life looks like for you. That said, I think we want to note some of the motivations that may be going on here because they they really, really matter. And that is that um, you're dealing with a lot of other people who are trying to put their agenda on you and they don't really care whether it works for you or not. They're just hoping that you'll buy into it. So let's take the three things that you mentioned. The first one that you mentioned is work. Work wants to get the most output from you for the least money. Uh, the, the more that you will buy into the fact that you are part of a team, they think will lead to more output. So that's what they're going for. I know that sounds really cynical. It's also kind of the truth. Um, there are good jobs out there, but there are not great jobs out there. Uh, and again, the, the goal is to get you to give 110% every day, even though that's not doable. And the guy that wrote that management consulting course, he doesn't care if it's sustainable for you or not. Um, he, he just wants to get paid. So then we'll jump over to the, the church stuff. And, um, man, it turns out that actually pastors have a really tough job and a lot of them face some really tough financial pressures, particularly right now. Um, you may or may not know this, but actually particularly in the United States, man, churches are closing left and right. 
Um, and so for a lot of pastors, there's a sense of, I need to get more people in here on a Sunday morning like yesterday, or we're not going to be able to keep the doors open and the lights on. More people getting in here means more money getting in, put in the plates, and that's the only way that we stay above water. So they look out at their congregants and they say, I got to motivate you people to do more. I need you to, to get work and I need you to get inviting. I need you to get motivated. And it's wrong to say that your pastor doesn't care about you. I, I hope it's wrong to say that. And I think in most cases that, that wouldn't be true. But it is true that that pastor is dealing with a lot of pressures and trying to figure out how does he um, make all this work. And if he could just convince you to give 110% at church, maybe that would help him deal with the unsolvable problems that he's trying to solve. There's there's a thing he's trying to get out of you, and I think unlike your work, maybe he hopes it works for you, but if you could just kind of get with the program and produce, that would be great, because we really need that right now. Well, and then that leads to the the last one, and this one's a little bit more complicated, but it's it's still worth looking at, which is you said with your family, that, you know, it feels like I'm, again, I'm, I'm part of a, a unit, and I'm kind of supposed to, to produce and perform. If you can dig it, actually, there's a lot of people who make their money by convincing you that's true. The number of products and services that are sold on the basis of describing the kind of family life that you ought to have and insisting that your job is to live up to that standard are beyond measure. There are so many goods and services and commercial offerings, at least in the United States, that are all built off the idea of a happy family that functions perfectly, and you need to be the one to make that happen. And if you'll buy this thing, it'll probably get closer to that. And the 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 makers of whatever that service is, I mean, they, they hope you have a happy family, but they really hope that you buy their thing. I mean, like, really, really hope, because that's their business. So with all that said, it's important to keep in mind that none of these are exactly, exactly evil things, It's but it's people being on what they're on, whether it works for you or not. They're, they're trying to make their money. They're trying to keep their business going. They're trying to keep their church going. It'd be great if it works for you, but whether it does or not, if you could help them achieve their thing, that's really what they care about. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to have to put it in those terms. So... For you, what that means is recognizing you've got to live your life. You've got to have an approach to work that works for you first, and an approach to church that works for you first, and an approach to family that works for you first. Hopefully, we can find a job situation and a church situation and a family situation that's agreeable with all people involved, but if it's not sustainable for you, it's going to break down sooner or later. So we really want to start by figuring out how can we find and build and design something that's actually sustainable. Well, that's yeah. a very, very important place to start that I think that gives us the great footing to, to, to build on. And Lee, what would that next step we build on be? I think a, an interesting part in this is is looking at kind of the spiritual aspect of the just the fact that your your walk with God at times is going to involve other people in in the way that he wants you to be a part of a team but it's going to have a different slant in it like I love how Jed said it's both and at the very beginning of his answer and I think that's absolutely true but you know, when he said, you know, Jeb was describing like your, your employer wants to get the most out of you for the least amount of money. Well, the difference from the Lord's perspective for you is if he involves you in a team to use your gifts as a part of a body, what he wants to do is he wants to give life to you. He wants to give joy to you. If you become a part of a team that's doing something in a group project or something like that, what he wants is to give you purpose, fulfillment, find a place in moving the kingdom forward. The interesting thing is no matter if you're doing things uh, as a part of a team, uh, spiritually, in ministry, anything like that, or whatever, all of those things come down to and boil down to your individual walk with Jesus. There's a place in Hebrews chapter six, where it says that God is not unrighteous. He will not forget your work of faith or your labor of love um, that you have done to encourage the Lord's people and that you continue to do so. That's a really important thing. What, what the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying is everything that you are a part of when it comes to your walk with the Lord has an individual impact in your relationship with Jesus. 
so that you are always building this one-on-one relationship with him. And he'll never forget anything that you do to move the kingdom forward. That's an important thing for you to remember. And it's also important for you to remember that Jesus says to every single one of us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Um, we're going to have group projects. We're going to have parts of, you know, things in this where we're going to be a part of a, of a team where we're part of a body moving things forward. But that's always from the Lord's perspective, always to give you more life, to give you more connecting points, to give you more purpose. And, and it's always a thing where, uh, whatever you are involved in that moves the kingdom forward, you can know that one If you are weary, if you are burdened, you can come to him and lay that on him. And whatever you're doing to move the kingdom forward, he will never forget it. This is always an individual, uh, an individual thing where he feels that you are walking with him and serving him. And that's a good thing to be remembering. I think that's a very, very good point. That's all excellent stuff. And Glenn, how would we close this out? Well, I yeah, I agree with you. I think both of these uh, answers these guys have given are fantastic. No question about it. I think we maybe a good place to start is to learn about how groups should and should not work. So, I th- I think th- uh, with any group, there's a lot of pressure to have conformity because the idea is. Uh, you know, the more conformity we have, the the more cooperation we're going to have, that sort of thing, uh, which doesn't turn out to be that true necessarily. What we need to, is to have common goals. That's important. Uh, and so, for example, if, if we all have the same goal, like if we, we're all trying to solve a problem uh, and it's the same problem, but we have a bunch of different ideas how to solve that problem, then we have a a wealth of good things. So the less conformity, the better. But if we have a room full of people where everybody's trying to solve a different problem, well, then you just have chaos. So um, there's conformity and then there's conformity. If you see what I'm saying there, it's, it's, do we have a common goal here? Uh, But I think a lot of conformity, both in families and particularly in churches, it's trying to get us to sameness, everybody be the same. And that's terrible. We want as much diversity and difference and to celebrate that. And that's super important in the church. There, there are people that I know in the church that are into stuff I would never have any interest in whatsoever, but I celebrate their interest in that because I, I the world needs people like them to carry the message forward. So... Uh, don't be like me. Don't conform to me. You be you. I'm going to do me. The, that's that's our strength here. What's uh, what's really of value is having that connection to other people. That's important. Uh, so conformity, not so much uh, being part of a group or having an affiliation with a group or any of those other things. That's not as important as connection. Where. You understand people; they understand you. There's there's a an element of respect there. There's an ability to cooperate based on that respect. That's real, and you can be in a in in a family, in a company, in a in a church or whatever, and not have any real meaningful connections with those people. There there are people I'm related to that I love them to death. I don't know if we're seeing fundamental reality in the same way sometimes. <laughs> There's no connection happening there. There's love. I love them. That, that that's, you know, but there's you know, there's no value in that relationship just because we share the same genetic makeup here. So that's we have to understand that. Uh so you but you mentioned there's this dynamic of the group thing versus the individual thing with God and and as a Christian. Uh, no two people believe the same thing. Therefore, we we get an illusion going that there's a sameness. If I call myself a Christian and you call yourself a Christian, we feel like we're the same thing. That's That just doesn't hold up in, in the final analysis. It starts to eventually break down. Uh, we, can, we can come with more and more exclusive and narrow definitions, but what it really just comes down to is everybody has their own individual, unique walk with God. And the more you invest in that, the more individual it is, the more unique it is, the more it is styled to you, and the more you let it be that way, the better it's going to be. 
You have got to have your relationship with God. You can't have mine. You're not invited to mine. I, you could call what I am a Christian, and I, I, I'm happy to have that label. But understand, in my religion, there's me, and there's God, and then there's just a bunch of other people. I don't know what they're on, dude. They're, they're doing their thing. It's me and God. Now, how does this then reconcile itself to God calling me to serve people, love people, be in community with people and all that? Here's how that works. I connect to others through God. So the primary connection is to God, but then when I go to God and I develop that relationship, he says, I've got this person I need you to help out. I have this person I need you to talk to. And so he's sending me out to those people and I'm connecting with those people and having those meaningful relationships, but I'm taking what God is giving me to them. So God is the connection of that. He is the conduit of that, and he's also fueling that. But it, I don't have a relationship with those people apart from God, if you see what I'm saying. So it's all derivative of that relationship with God. Uh, and I think that's the healthy way to see that. That way you have the individual, individuality of that, but you also have that connection to others. Final point, and I think this really, really deserves some thought uh, for for you particularly, there are always dangers to being part of a group. Always. Mm. I'm going to give you two big dangers of being, because we always say, well, safety in numbers, that kind of thing. Certainly not true. I'm going to give you two big dangers of being part of a group very quickly. There are many, but these are the two big ones I want you to look at. First danger uh, that comes from being part of a group is a lack of responsibility. That responsibility gets spread across everybody. It's, you know, if you figure someone else in this church is going to do something about that starving family, then you don't, you don't worry about it. You know, they, they said we're a really missional church, and I didn't do anything to find out whether that's true or not, so probably they've got it covered, and I don't need to worry about it. Responsibility in any social situation, in any group, goes down the more people are in that uh, mm. social situation. Uh, that's bad for us as Christians. We we want to have more responsibility. So the more I'm part of a group, the more I have to check, am I being responsible? Second big danger of being a part of a group, mediocrity. Holy cow, mediocrity. The groups don't love somebody being way more spectacular than them. That's their least favorite thing. I don't care what group it is. Go to, to go to your office and work twice as good as everybody else. Sell twice as many cars on this car lot. Go to your, your your basketball league and score twice as many points as everybody else. Everybody throw their hands. It's like you go to karaoke night and there's one person who can massively sing and just singing operatically or whatever. And now you gotta get up there and sing your little thing. You don't like it. This is what this is what groups do is we want everybody to kind of be mediocre and lumped in the middle. And that presents a problem if God's calling you to an extraordinary life, and I think he is. So you have to be around people who celebrate your uniqueness and celebrate you as you break out of that mediocrity, and that's that's what we want for you. That's absolutely right. Uh, one thing I would add to the, the discussion, all these guys have kind of hinted at it, but it's certainly worth saying is there's a fundamental difference uh, to your relationship with God to all these other relationships. And mm. one of the things that might be a little confusing is so it's true that you have to, you do have absolutely have to have your walk with God as an individual thing. That's really the only way that works. But then there's also all this stuff in the Bible about losing yourself, losing your identity. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. That's, that's a different proposition than you're being offered by these other institutions. Um, Cause there's, there's kind of a negotiation going on with these things. Uh, what your job would love is for you to come in and work 80 hours a week for free. If it wasn't massively illegal for you to do that, that's where their negotiation would start. So as, as Jed said, they try to get a little extra out of you by pulling the, hey, we're all a family and it's all great. And then, eh, you know, we're in the midst of a, a economic downturn and some people uh, we're seeing how much uh, major corporations consider people that work for them family in some ways. And then there is your actual family who unfortunately may be on that same dynamic trying to get uh, a little bit out of you. Um, and then there's a church, which I think is important to point out here. As Jed mentioned, even a really well-run church is going to be focused on the church, on getting some things done. 
I think the hope of my my friends who are really good pastors and really care for their people is that by being involved in the things they have going, your individual walk would be uh, benefited from that. They're looking for ways to get you to do that. So that's a little bit closer. But the the God thing is you have this identity is kind of what we're talking about. You know, work wants your identity to be employee XYZ4729 who gets up and, you know, ask yourself, is it best for the company? And kind of <laughs> yeah. that whole idea, you know, your family moment thing, you know, ask yourself is if maybe I, could you do a couple loads of laundry before you leave for work in the morning? Would that kill you? Think about what's best for mom. God wants you to think about what's best for you. Come on. Not in a selfish way, but in that way of what's best for you is going to be serving as, as one point yeah, out, it's going to be connecting is going to be sacrificing in a weird way. But none of that's to get the most out of you that God can. That's God doesn't need anything from any of us. He wants you to do the things that are best for you. So if you start seeing Amen. those overlaps and you start seeing from other organizations, and again, they're, nobody's job is 100% invested in them as an individual, that's fine. That's what the paycheck is for. Um, you know, But you may find a situation where you can't wait for pastor to be the one to declare that you're doing enough. You might have to declare that for yourself. That's totally fine. The thing to remember is God is on your side. He wants you to be the most you you can be and all the things he's leading you into yeah, will move toward that end. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, the richcago.tumblr.com. Please do join us every Tuesday at 730 for the bridge live stream and catch those videos archived at facebook.com slash rich Chicago, 730 central the Lord's time zone. <laughs> Central time. Uh, we're going to say us, that with the weather you have. Uh, well, <laughs> I didn't say which Lord. <laughs> we are going to take out the song this week. This is a really cool thing. This is a friend of ours who's a DJ who did a little remix that may feature the vocals of our own Jed Brewer. This is from our friend DJ Andon Rock Ooh. called Where You Are. Take yeah. out that. Just remember, we love yeah. you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Say that podcast, sign up now for our virtual reality pastor simulator. Be sure to sign the medical release and bring your own car battery. (laughs) I lived hard on the wire, hand in the fire for so long. But you've shown me better, a new kind of love. It's ever the one that I want. I'm lifting you higher. Nothing that I'd rather do A sweet elevation of praises There's no one I love more than you I never knew a love like this before The kind of life that I cannot find on my own I've seen the world but I have never been so sure That I want your heart God, I just want to be where you are Just want to be where you are Where you are God, I just want to be where you are
I've seen the world, but I have never been so sure that I want your heart. God, I just want to be where you are.